I, uh, you know, it's so good actually to start a day lifting up the Lord like that. And, um, you know, I had a professor when I was, I was in school, Dr. Packer, and he always used to say, theology should lead to doxology. And if it doesn't, it's dead. And what you're doing today is you're taking your theology and you're turning it into worship. And uh, thank you so much. That, that was really good. Um, you know, Mark said that uh, from Red Deer, and he mentioned that you would be welcome to come to church in Red Deer. I just want to say that's true. Um, you, anytime you're in Red Deer, you could come. In fact, your first three Sundays are free. You don't have to tithe. Um, you're just welcome to come and sit. Fourth Sunday? Uh, no, not just joking. You know, I, I know that you're, um, my understanding at least, is that you're, you're talking about journeying with Jesus. And kind of based on Luke 24, where Jesus walks with those disciples. And I read that over yesterday. And it struck me that those disciples walking along that road, it says their faces were downcast, downcast. And I kind of, I've been pondering that. Because I, I don't know where you're at today, but, you know, we've come through a tough couple of years and, and maybe stuff that's gone on in those years and has made you kind of downcast. Or maybe you're just under a lot of pressure with work here, um, trying to figure out where you're going after this, or maybe it's our own sin, but often we're like the disciples, our faces are downcast. And one of the great, I guess, secrets of the Christian life is to kind of figure out how to lift our eyes higher, higher than COVID, higher than the stuff that makes us anxious, higher than our own sin, just keep lifting our eyes higher because when we get our eyes back on Christ, not only lifts our eyes, but lifts our spirits and actually everything changes. And, you know, I was thinking driving out here today, and by the way, you guys live in a banana belt. It's only minus 28 here. You know what it is in Red Deer? It's minus 32. That's a big difference. And you, the roads in Red Deer are terrible. Down here, it's just, you're, you're ready for spring. This is amazing. But so... I had an extra long drive today because the roads weren't good coming out of Red Deer, and so I had a lot of time to think about this. Um, and I was remembering back to when I lived in BC. We lived in BC for a number of years, and um, while I was there, I was one of, the, uh, one of the chaplains for the BC Lions. And I remember one game in particular. The Lions had been in their normal slump for 10 or 12 games, and, and I had to go down and, and uh, meet with the team and have a chapel before the game, and Went down into the media entrance where you go in and worked my way around to the coach's office and met a man named Roy DeWalt, who was a quarterback at that time. He said, you know, I'll take you to the room. We're going to have chapel, and, and then we're going to, you know, um, then, then you can go from there. So we had our chapel with a few of the players, and, and they all left except Roy DeWalt, the quarterback. He stood there, and he said, man, this is going to be an amazing game. He was so pumped. He said, we're going to turn it around today. Then he looked at me and said, are you coming to the game? And I I said, no, I got other plans. Actually, I was just too cheap to buy tickets. He says, that's too bad. He says, because I had four tickets for you. I said, I can change my plans. And I took the four tickets. And we were right up behind the, the bench. And, and uh, I was watching Roy DeWalt. He was, he was so pumped. He was, he was doing not too bad. But, you know, as the first half went on, the, the game got out of hand. And by the time the second half started, well, the Lions weren't doing real well. And I, and I don't know when it was, sometimes during, sometime during the third quarter, I looked out in the field and it was the backup quarterback play, not Roy DeWalt. And I, I thought, oh, what happened there? And I looked 
for Roy DeWalt, and I saw him in front of me on the bench, and he was sat with his head slumped over and a towel on his head. He wasn't even in the game or watching the game. Picture of depression, despair, downcast. And I've never forgot that because sometimes that's where we're at. You know, we were, we were in the game as it were. We're, we're living full out for Jesus, but something's hit us and knocked us down, and we're downcast, just like those disciples on the Emmaus Road. Well, I hope today that in just a few minutes I have that I can somehow encourage you to get your eyes lifted a little bit higher as Jesus encouraged those disciples. And my text this morning is uh, Luke. I'm going to use Luke chapter 4 as a launching pad anyway. Luke chapter 4. And um, let me just read a few words to you from Luke chapter 4. Beginning at, um, well, verse 14, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everybody praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, and as, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, in, I guess, one sense, I just, I want to land really on that little phrase, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We're going to look around it on both sides of it, but that's kind of the, the heart of what I want to talk to you about is the, the year of the Lord's favor. And what you read here is actually the starting point of Jesus' public ministry. He, um, he's going to go public. He's been baptized. He's been tempted. And now he's going to go public. And he goes into the synagogue, and he takes the scroll of Isaiah, and he reads from Isaiah 61. So what you're reading in Luke 4 is a direct quote, really, from Isaiah chapter 61. And, you know, when you think about that journey that the disciples took with Jesus on the Emmaus Road, where it says he, he talked to them, and he went from Moses through all the prophets, and he talked to them about all the things that Moses and the prophets said about him. He would have landed for sure on Isaiah 61. He would have landed there. And he would have told them that Isaiah 61 was talking about me. And he might have said, you know, don't you remember when I started my ministry, I, I went into the synagogue in Nazareth and I, and I read that. And he said, that was actually written about me. And, and Isaiah 61 says, and Jesus quotes it, that, that he came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What? That's interesting. Because in Luke, he stops there. But if you tracked it back to Isaiah 61, in fact, I'll just read it to you from Isaiah 61. He says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. So Isaiah says there's two things that the Messiah is going to do. He's going to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. But when you come to Luke 4, Jesus drops the day of vengeance off the radar screen. Why? Well, I think because what Isaiah wouldn't have known um, was that between the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, there'd be a whole intervening period. And actually, that's the time we live in now. We live in the year of the Lord's favor. But it won't last forever. 
It won't last forever. There's a day coming when, when Jesus will step back on the scene and the day of the Lord's favor will be over and the day of vengeance comes. So when you think about the day of the Lord's favor, I, I think what you could call it is a day of opportunity. That's where we're living today, in a day of opportunity. Opportunity to receive grace. Opportunity to be brought into the family. Opportunity to be filled with God's spirit and have the life of the ages now. Do you understand that? Like, I don't know if you understand, and I, because I'm still learning, and at my advanced age, it's, it's harder to learn, but um, I'm still learning what it means to live in the year of the Lord's favor and to receive his grace. There's so much to it. Um, we talk about forgiveness of sins. We talk about the hope of heaven. But you know what? God actually says, I've come to give you life and life to the full. And the opportunity for life to the full is right now. And that's the life of the ages. It's like we get to live now. We get a taste of the life that we'll enjoy forever, right now. I mean, Jesus said, whoever believes in him has everlasting life. Not will have, but has. You know, I like cars. I just, I do, I like cars. And a while back, I bought a Dodge Charger, and it was, it, it, it's a nice car, but it's not as powerful as I would like, and for whatever reason. You know, old men having, you know, trying to be young again. But I, I was looking at an article on, and it was the Detroit um, Auto Show. It was a year or so ago. And uh, they, they had a, a brand new Dodge Demon. Now, I know as a pastor, I can't buy a Dodge Demon, but this was a, this was a car that was going to go into production, but wasn't in production yet, and it had 770 horsepower. And I'm looking at that thing, and you know, I think, you could actually go, you could go to the Detroit Auto Show, and you could sit in it. And you could sit there thinking, this would be amazing to drive. You know what? That would be like getting a foretaste of what was coming when it went into production. What we have when God gives us his Holy Spirit is just a taste of what's to come. But we get that taste now. This is the day of opportunity. Like the, the, this is an amazing thing that God has thrown open the doors of heaven and said through Jesus, you can have eternal life, you can have my spirit now, you have the hope of heaven, and you can have purpose and meaning. This is awesome. The year of the Lord's favor. So I think what I'd like to do, just for a couple of minutes with you, or four or five, um, is, is basically just for me, this passage raised three questions. Three questions. Here they are. Who is Jesus? What is his mission? And so what does that have to do with me? Those three questions are really important. Who is Jesus? What is his mission? And so what? Or what does it have to do with me? Let's come back to the who is Jesus. You know, the New Testament constantly does what Luke does when I read you that passage. It quotes from the Old Testament. Or um, it invokes Old Testament stories. So every, all the way through the New Testament, you read quotes from the Old Testament, or they're invoking Old Testament stories, and that's extremely important. Actually, I want to tell you about another thing that, that a lot of people don't write about, but there's those references from the Old Testament. There's Old Testament stories, and in the New Testament, there are what's called echoes, echoes of the Old Testament, echoes of the Old Testament. Those are extremely important. Let me, let me show you a couple echoes in 
And you remember that a lot of the New Testament, especially the Gospels, will be written to Jewish people that knew the Old Testament well. So they'd pick up some of these echoes. So I noticed some of them. For, for example, in, in Mark chapter 6, and I think you'll pick up the echo quite quickly here. In Mark chapter 6, um, verses, I think it's verse 48. It's the feeding of the 5,000. You remember that? So it's the feeding of the 5,000. And, and what happens is, Jesus directs the disciples to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. That's an echo of the Old Testament. He invites them all to sit down on the green grass. Can you think of anything in the Old Testament that's like that? Psalm 23, right? He makes me lie down in green pastures. That's an echo. What does that mean? That means now that if we're going to understand the feeding of the 5,000 properly, we need to look through the lens of Psalm 23. And when we do, what do we discover? Doesn't Psalm 23 says, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Just before the feeding of the 5,000, what's happened? Herod has lopped off John the Baptist's head. John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. In a shame-honor culture, all the pressure would be on Jesus to respond to that. What's he going to do? Everybody's watching Jesus. What's he going to do? You know what he does? He takes 5,000 people on the green grass, kind of in the shadow of Herod's palace, and he prepares a table in the presence of his enemy. Herod's banquet was a banquet of death. Jesus is a banquet of life. See, that's an echo of the Old Testament. Then you get more. You get like um, Mark chapter 4 and verse 39. Uh, Jesus is walking on the water. Remember that one? He's walking on the water, and, and it actually says there in Mark chapter 4 and verse, where is it, verse 39? I think it is. Let me just check it out. Um, in verse 39, it says, oh no, I'm, I'm on a different one. He's, he got up and he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still, and the wind died down. It was completely calm. That's an echo of Psalm 107, where it says the, the tempest kicked up a storm, but he stilled the storm to a whisper. And then you have that played out here. And then you have that one where Jesus is walking on the water. And when Jesus is walking on the water, this is the phrase that the gospel writers use. He's walking on the water and he's about to pass them by. That's an echo of Job. Job chapter, what is it? Job chapter um, nine talks about the God who passes by. Job says, I think he's passing me by. The disciples say, I think he's passing me by. So why am I saying all this? These New Testament references, these New Testament use of the Old Testament stories, and these echoes, they're all there to make one extremely important point. You know what it is? This Jesus is that God. This Jesus in front of you is that God. Or that God in the Old Testament, it's Jesus. That's the point they're making. That, that shepherd in Psalm 23, the Lord, the great I am, that's Jesus. That's the point. That God that Job talked about who's about to pass him by, that's Jesus. That God in Psalm 107 that stilled the storm to a whisper, that's Jesus. It's so important to get that. I know we, you know, we're in Bible college and many of you probably brought up in churches and we know all the right answers, but sometimes the impact of who Jesus is never hits us the way it should. He is God Almighty and he's with you. 
and he knows you by name, and you matter to him. If you get fuzzy, if you get fuzzy on the identity of Jesus or the nature of the gospel, it will get very, very hard to hang in in the Christian faith. You get fuzzy on the identity of Jesus or on the nature of the gospel, it'll get extremely hard to hang in in the Christian faith. The nature, the, see, the gospel is Jesus. It's not just... It's not just some stuff that we believe. Jesus is the good news. Jesus himself is the gospel. If you lose who he is and his identity, you begin to drift and you lose everything. That's so important not to miss who Jesus is. So that's the first thing that struck me because when I read that quote in Luke from Isaiah 61, it just reminded me of of how, how important it is to remember who Jesus is. So then the second question is, what was his mission? Well, I guess his mission statement would be to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Um, But in Isaiah 61, what's interesting, the verses around that line, they pack that little phrase with content or with substance. Isaiah 61 starts this way. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. And it goes on, to comfort all who mourn, provide for those who grieve in Zion, bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes and the oil of gladness instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They'll be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. You know, the common denominator in all that is, is transformation, change. When God Almighty, in the person of his son, comes into the world, he's come for these people, the poor, the brokenhearted, captives, prisoners, people that grieve, and so on. You know, another way of putting it would be, if you were to read through all the parables of Jesus that have people in them, and take out the key player, the key player in all the parables. You know what you end up with? The last, the lost, the least, the little, and the nearly dead. That would be the good, the good, good guy, good Samaritan word. The last, the lost, the least, the little, and nearly dead. That's Isaiah 61. That's who Jesus came for. He came for the very last and the very least. And for the lost, you say, where do I fit in? Well, I don't know, the lost for sure. You, you know what we, we say people are lost? You know what we mean by lost? You know what we mean by that? What do you mean by lost is in the wrong place? In the wrong place. You were created to know God and have a relationship with him. And when you don't, you're in the wrong place. That means you're lost. And I guess one of the biggest um, indications of what we were created for would be in Genesis chapter 2. When the Lord God made man out of the dust of the ground. And what did he do after that when he had this lifeless body? It, it went, he went lip to lip. I think the Hebrews, it came, came, almost a kiss. Lip to lip and breathed into Adam, this lifeless body, the breath of life. What's the first thing Adam would see when he came to life? Be the face of God. It's the first thing he would see. That's why you were created. To know God, to see him, and to live in his presence. And when it all got screwed up, and Adam and Eve fell into sin, and we all, like sheep, followed them, you know, God could have washed his hands of us and walked away, but when you read the scriptures and you come to the very end, God comes full circle 
and what's lost is being restored. And one of the last great lines of the Bible is, and they will see his face. Isn't that amazing? He hasn't given up on that. We're going to see his face. That's the lost. But his mission was to come for these people. And I, I, I checked out some of these words in Isaiah 61. He came for the poor. The poor, the, the downtrodden and the disadvantaged. The downtrodden and the disadvantaged. The brokenhearted. That covers every kind of human breakdown. He's going to bind up their wounds. And bind up, that expresses like personal attention. Like he gets up close and personal to people and he binds up their wounds. He's a God that, well, he's not far away. And when you call on his name, he's there and he binds up the wounds and he proclaims freedom for the captives. That's any kind of captive. Um, you know, in a lot of, in, in our culture, in our world, a lot of people are captive. Pornography, um, money, um, sex, power. I mean, you, you just add to the list. Um, proclaim freedom for them and release from darkness for people that live in darkness. I know a lot of people, I have a lot of friends that don't know Jesus and they actually live in darkness. And right now, they're running around this world without God and without hope and they have no idea where there's hope. He came for them. And so the, the transformation that's talked about here is, is amazing, which reminds me to say to you and to me, and by the way, when you speak publicly, preaching, you know what it is? It's talking to yourself in front of other people who are just listening in. So I, I'm just talking to me, and you guys, if you want to listen in, great. If not, then just talk among yourselves. But um, transformation is why he came. And I, you know, when you look at this ministry, I mean, I just, I just thought about two people on the way here today. The woman at the well. Like, she would be in some of that category of the last, the lost, the least, the little, and the nearly dead. I mean, she, she had been married five times. And now she's, now she's living with a guy that's not her husband, and yet when Jesus comes to her and gives her living water, she leads more people to Jesus than I think anybody else in the Gospels. She brings the whole town out. You talk about transformation. She went to the well at the hour when nobody else went because she couldn't even show herself to people. And yet when Jesus changed her life, she brings the whole town to Jesus. Transformation. The woman caught in adultery. Do you remember that story? It's at John chapter 8. Um, that's a bad day, actually. If you're in bed with the wrong person and you suddenly end up face-to-face -face with Jesus, you're, you're probably not, it's probably not your best day. Um, and there she was, probably just a bed sheet around her. And Jesus um, talks to the accusers. And you, you know the story. And then he, um, he looks at her and he says, where are your accusers? And she says, I don't know, they've gone. And then he says this great line, which is the heart of the gospel. He said, um, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's the gospel. You're not condemned, so go and sin no more. You know what? Sometimes we get that screwed up. We get it backwards. You know what our gospel becomes? If you don't, if you don't sin anymore, you won't be condemned. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not if you stop sinning, you won't be condemned. The gospel is you're not condemned, so go and sin no more. That will change you. When were you saved? When did you become a Christian? You know when I became a Christian? 2,000 plus years ago. That's when I really became a Christian. Everything necessary for my salvation was done at the cross. Everything. Everything I've ever done, thought, or will do was piled on Jesus and he paid the debt 
and it was finished. And when he said he was, it was finished, there's nothing more you can do. There was a point in my history where the Holy Spirit tracked me down and he pointed me to what Jesus did. And he said he finished it there. And the moment I looked and believed that, I had eternal life. You're not condemned. So go and sin no more. If you get in your DNA that all of your stuff has been placed on Jesus and he has freely forgiven you and you've got that kind of grace, that kind of grace changes us. It's, um, it's not cheap grace. It's Titus kind of grace. Titus says the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to everybody. And it teaches us, get that, grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's grace. I guess a question that comes to mind for me and for you, so how are we doing with this stuff? If, if Jesus is God, and if we're living in the year of his favor, where captives are set free, are you still all bound up? Pornography? Anger? Pride? I mean, are we still all bound up? You know, Jesus Christ sets people free. We've got a lot of talk about freedom and freedom convoys and all that stuff right now. And I don't have a horse in the race, so I get annihilated at church if I say anything about anything. But um, I don't have a horse in the race except this. The only real freedom that counts is what Jesus said. And he said, if the Son will make you free, you'll be free indeed. You'll be free indeed. I just want to remind you that Jesus Christ sets people free. And um, just because you're in a Bible college or just because I'm a pastor, it doesn't mean that we can't get all bound up again with the stuff that Jesus came to set us free from. He's got better stuff than the stuff that sometimes we feed on. Way better. You know, sometimes we... We have all these accountability groups, and I, you know, I, I mean, I think all that stuff's probably important. I think the only men's accountability group that's ever worked is the mafia, though, but um, I, I don't know. That, that works, but I, I don't know. I can lie to you, really, but, you know, we have all these little gadgets and rules to keep us from sinning, and I, I, I mean, if, if they work, that's great. I know nothing against them, but here's, here's the big deal. Here's the biggest motivator. The pure in heart get to see God. The sight of God is better than the sight of any naked woman or naked man. The pure in heart get to see God. That's a positive, positive incentive to pursue Jesus. So, um, just a couple minutes left, so what I'll do is, I'll, who is Jesus? What um, um, did he come to do? My third one was, oh yeah, the so what. What does it mean to us? Here's the so what. What's interesting with the way scripture plays with this little phrase, the year of the Lord's favor. In Isaiah 49, it's, it's used there, but in a, it, the wording is a little different, but it's the same thought. Let me just read you what it says in Isaiah 49. In Isaiah 49, um, talking about the same servant, the same Messiah, Jesus, it says, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I've kept. I'll also make you a light for the Gentiles that you might bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. It's talking, it's the same kind of language really as Isaiah 61 and it's saying that Jesus will bring God's salvation to the ends of the earth. But what's crazy about that is that Paul in the New Testament in Acts, in the book of Acts, 
in the New Testament, chapter 13 and verse 47, takes that phrase, I'll make you a light for the Gentiles that you would bring my salvation to the ends of the earth, that is applied to Jesus, and he applies it to himself in Acts chapter 13. He says, God has given us the mission to bring his salvation to the ends of the earth. What's happened? What, what God sent Jesus to do, he did, and when he left, he placed that mission squarely in our hands. That's what it has to do with us. He said, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. I'm sending you to the last, the lost, the least, the little, and the nearly dead. We are sent people. It's never been all about us. I'm so glad that he did think of me and brought me into his family. I'm so glad of that. But I'll tell you what, he brought me in for a reason and a purpose too. And that was to take what was the eternal gospel that Jesus came to bring and that you and I have received and now we have the commission and mission to pass that on because Paul said that is now his, which means that is now ours. That's so important to grasp. Um, you, you, you have a circle of influence and friends that nobody else has. You have people in your life that don't know Jesus, maybe in your family, maybe, maybe friends, I don't know. You know who they are. Uh, these are the people that need to hear the good news of Jesus. Um, you know, people are all over the place. They're looking for hope. I was sitting in a coffee shop in Red Deer the other day. I go there quite a lot, actually. And, and I, was, I was just reading a newspaper, and I realized there's nobody in the coffee shop. Nobody else is gone. And the two girls behind the counter, probably early 20s, that's it, and me. And they came out from behind the counter, and, and they, they knew I was a pastor. And they came up to me and they said, do you mind if we ask you a couple of religious questions? Yeah, sure, go for it. I hope I know the answer. This one girl said, and she was quite troubled. She said, somebody told me that if I die, I'm going to burn to ash. Is that true? That's an interesting question. I've never had that before. I said, you know what? Let's flip the question. Let's talk about Jesus for a minute. Because he said that if you believe in him, you're not going to burn to ash, but you're going to have eternal life. Just a great couple-minute conversation. The other girl said, you know, I used to go to your church. I said, oh, I don't know that. I didn't recognize her or anything. She said, no, I just, I went through the youth group. And she mentioned somebody that had been a youth leader. And she said, then I left. She said, you know, I've been thinking I'd like to come back. And I said, you guys would be so welcome to come back. I said, I got two seats right in the front. And they kind of freaked them out. But they, <laughs> I, I think they'll be there next week, actually, or the week after. I really do. But, you know, like there's people everywhere. Our problem is we, we, if we're running around with, with downcast eyes and so focused on ourselves and our rights and all this other stuff, we actually don't see what God is doing right around us in our world. We don't get it. But he's up to something. I, I think I said a couple of years ago when I was here um, that um, when, when God said to Moses, my name is I am. I am means I'm present. It doesn't mean I was. It doesn't just mean I will be. I am. But more than I'm present, it means I am actively present. I am actively present. That's God, actively present in your life right now, in our world. So let me end with two things you can do practically. Because I always struggled with, you know, I, I'm not a great witness and I'm, I get scared of all that kind of stuff. And, um, so here's two things that I taught our church to do, which, which the church grew from, 
from small to, to larger size just because we did this. We, we all decided that we would take three people that we knew that didn't know Jesus and we'd pray for them by name every week. Three people. I stole that actually from something called Operation Andrew. It was an old Billy Graham thing. But, um, you, you know, just nobody comes to Christ unless somebody's prayed for them. Think about that. If you've come to Christ, somebody's prayed for you. You check that out. When you, when you know people that are coming to Jesus, you, everybody's had somebody pray for them that comes to Christ. The first thing you can do if you want to take the mission of Jesus, I'll just choose three people and pray for them. Pray for them by name. Here, here, here's how you pray. Lord, would you open a door of opportunity for me to speak to them? Lord, would you open my lips? Because I'm a big chicken. And then, Lord, would you open their heart to receive Christ? Just pray for three people, by name, but keep it up. Second thing, Start to have one minute longer conversations with people. You're at Tim Hortons, you're at the gas station, you're in a restaurant, you're wherever, and just push a conversation a minute longer and, and just see if, the, say the Holy Spirit, I'll go if you go. I, I, I learned that because I was in a Tim Hortons drive out, drive through a few years ago, and, and um, there's a lineup behind me, but I thought, I'm going to try something here. And this little girl, Amy, she, she handed me my coffee. Her name was Amy. So I just looked at her and said, Amy, how's, how's it going, Amy? And she looked at me and said, well, you come here a lot, don't you, with your son? And we used to come and sit. I said, yeah, I do. She said, she didn't know who I was or anything. And she said, I really like him. I said, hey, Amy, I go to Crossroads Church. If you come on Sunday, I'll introduce you. <laughs> I'll tell you what, she showed up Sunday. And she came right up to the front, no lie. She came and I introduced her to Ryan, and the feeling wasn't mutual. But she was there, and I said, hey, Amy, on Friday night this week, we have a barbecue at our house, because at our house, those years, every Friday night, we had a barbecue for kids that were last, lost, least little, nearly dead, just way out there. Throw a hamburger on, and then any question went. I said, Amy, I'd love you to come. She showed up. She came for two years, heard the whole gospel, moved out, didn't accept Christ, heard the whole gospel. I just trust Jesus to water that. You know how that started? Hey, Amy, how's it going today? Pray for three people. Push a conversation a minute longer. See what Jesus does with that. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate being here, and I, um, it's, it's just an honor. And I, I, feel, I feel filled up, even with the worship today. So can I pray, and then we'll, then we'll go and have grilled cheese and tomato soup, whatever we do. I don't know. <laughs> Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you that you so loved us that you sent your son. Father, I pray that he wouldn't just be a name or your, your word wouldn't just be information, but it would be transformative in our lives. And I pray for these people today that you would bless them and keep them. Father, would you make your face shine on them and be gracious to them? Would you turn toward them and grant them your peace? We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. God bless you. Amen.